go ahead and grab your Bibles. Let's go into Psalm chapter number 57, please. Psalm chapter 57. Uh, it was a blessing. Sunday morning, uh, we had 115 people in church, or 114 people, and I, I took the list home to make sure that my prayer list is all caught up, and um, the, the attendance list, and we were missing 30 people, and I only counted the ones that are here regularly, faithfully, every Sunday morning. There was 30 people gone out of town from the weekend, so uh, that was pretty good. Got to pray we keep getting visitors like that. Uh, that's a big deal, man. I want to see him come and come back and get saved. And uh, don't forget, I just remind you, I've been watching. Everybody's doing better and better, so this isn't a rebuke or anything like that. But uh, don't forget, when you see somebody come in that's a visitor, to get to them. Uh, say hey to them, welcome them, let them know that you're happy they're here. If they're cranky and rude, just figure they're just uncomfortable and then leave them alone, you know what I mean? But uh, at least say hey to them and uh, make them feel welcome, and don't forget too. If this keeps happening, we're going to have to do the scoot over thing, right? So please be willing to scooch in a little bit, and we'll we'll get overflow chairs out and all the rest of that stuff. But um, in the meanwhile, you know, please be sweet about putting your stuff down on the floor in front of you and scooching over. I like pews. I don't think I'm ever going to stop liking pews. To me, I'm not preaching against chairs in church. All right. But I just don't like chairs. If we build a sanctuary, I don't want chairs in there. It doesn't feel as much like church. I'm sorry, that's goofy, right? Uh, pews even cost more. But I like pews. The problem with pews is, what's nice about pews <laughs> is when you sit down, you automatically make your space. Do you know what I'm saying? You put your Bible next to you and it's great, but then you lose seats. So that's why a lot of guys choose to go with seats because there's a confined space there and there's a holder in front for your Bible and all that stuff. And so they go with chairs to fit more people in i like pews i just think it's more like church it's just weird i'm crazy i'm old school whatever you want to call me that's fine but i i'm always going to stick with pews as long as i'm able to but that being said then we may need to realize that we're taking more space than we really have to so just like lines in the parking lot let's pray for that amen we need a parking lot out there because lines in the parking lot help get more cars in you know what i'm saying so all right enough of all that stuff psalm 57 Notice the title to the chief musician, Altashith, Mishtham of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. So that's telling you where he's at, it's the cave of Adullam. He says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are as spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They've dig a, digged a pit before me. Into the midst thereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake up my glory. Awake sultry in heart. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Uh, Brian Stats, would you ask God to bless the preaching, please?
Amen. Now notice if you would in verse number two, he says, I will cry unto God most high and to God that performeth all things for me. Uh, that jumped out at me. I want to talk to you about a fulfilling God. God who actually fulfills his promises. Uh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I can put my faith and trust in God because there's not a whole lot of things in this world you can really trust in. Uh, you don't have any promise of tomorrow and neither do I. I was telling my wife, we were walking the other day, I said, really, to be honest with you, when it comes to men that don't have the Spirit of God in them, I have almost zero whatever. I mean, my feelings about the actions of lost men are like, I, I don't really have them. <laughs> You're like, well, he said what, he did what, like, I, what do you expect? I, I mean, I have absolutely no confidence in the flesh. I said, to be honest with you, uh, even with saved people, you kind of get to where you're like, you know, well, whatever, what'd you expect? They're just human. I mean, saved people, I can get to where I trust. You understand that? Because they do have the Spirit of God in them. And I'm thankful for that. I'm not trying to say don't trust anybody. What I'm trying to tell you is, really, you don't have a lot in this world that you can really rely on, but you do have some promises from God, as is revealed in that book. And David recognized that, and he said it in verse number 2. He said, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. I'm glad I got a God that will come through every time. I'm glad I got a God who will come through on his promises. When God tells me to do something and I go to do what God tells me to do, I know God will make it work. One way or the other, sooner or later, God's good for it. And I'm thankful for that. I, I got a fulfilling God. He's a God that filleth all in all. Notice something else here in the title of this thing. He says, Mishtham. That means a private prayer or, or a private devotion as best as what we can tell. Something else he says is Altashith. That means to destroy not. So David's writing this prayer, and this is a prayer he is writing in his early life. This is obviously when he's in the cave of Adullam and he's fleeing from Saul. And, and, and really, he's, he's in a bad spot. You see that down there in uh, in verse number one, he says, Under the shea in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. See that? So he's in a bad spot. A calamity is like a, a sudden disastrous event. It's, it's, it's something that comes on you quickly and it's, a, it's literally, it goes beyond just your average normal like ups and downs of life. This is a really bad situation that hits him and it's an overwhelming thing. It's a crushing thing. And here he is as a young man in his 20s in a position where he's in a calamity. And in the middle of that calamity, he's writing this thing. And when he writes the song, the title of the song is <laughs> uh, To Destroy Not. He's saying, God, I'm praying to you and I'm asking you to please help me not be destroyed by what's happening. God, I need you in a bad time. And he has a God that he can rely on and he throws himself in this prayer, in this psalm, in this song to God. Between him and God, he throws himself at the feet of God and says, I am trusting in you. I'm clinging to you because things are getting so bad. I don't see anywhere else to turn. I have nothing else to reach out to. I I need you, God, and I'm relying on you. And he's saying unto God, who performeth all things for me, in the middle of his calamity, you got to grab a hold of the sincerity of this thing. I mean, God trusts David with problems and with issues. As a young man, God entrusts him with some things he's not putting on other people. Because God has plans for David down the road. 
that David is not seeing happen right now. Actually, everything David's seeing happen right now say the total opposite of what he knows and believes and has been prophesied are going to happen later in his life. All these wonderful things are going to happen. All these promises of God are out there. But in the here and now, in this moment, David is in a bad spot. And what he's doing in this psalm is he's reaching out to God. Notice some things in the passage, and we won't be long tonight, but notice, first of all, he had to experience the protection of God for himself. One of the good things about your calamities is you will find that God fulfills his promise of protection. Look at it in verse 1. He says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Now watch. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. You know what he had to learn? He had to learn that God is a protecting God. How else are you going to know that God protects you if there's never a danger? You understand that? God has to allow you sometimes to come face to face with the danger. God has to allow you to sit in that cave fearing for your life in order for Him and His protection to become real to you. If you never have a problem in your life, how are you ever going to get to know this side of God? He, he, he gets real close to God. If, if you'll notice as we continue going through the Psalms, a lot of David's Psalms have to deal with perplexity, his own perplexity. He's like, what is going on? Where are you? God, please don't let me be destroyed. God, they're going to swallow me up. God, my problems are so much bigger than me. And God, you know I've been trying to serve you. You know I've been trying to do right. And now all of a sudden, all this stuff is coming. God, what is going on? He's perplexed in a whole lot of his psalms. And in the middle of his perplexity, it's a wild thing, man. The Holy Spirit of God is penning down the very words of God that were sitting out in eternity past and are already in eternity future. And David's penning those things down in the middle of his perplexity when him, none of it makes any sense at all, and he's confused by it all. What God's doing is God's putting him in a position where he has nowhere to turn but to God. God's testing his character. God's making sure that he's ready for the throne God's about to give him. So God puts him in this spot, and what he learns in that moment is the protection of God is really all he needs. Is everything all right? Do we need to go? Okay. Number, notice those wings. He says, Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. The wings of God. Notice, go to Deuteronomy chapter number 32, please. Deuteronomy chapter number 32. Look at verse 11. It says, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. The illustration he's using here is an eagle that's got her young ones in the nest, right? 
And while they're sitting in that nest, that, that mother, when she realizes those eaglets are getting older and they're developing and their wings are there and, you know, they're constantly hungry. She's been doing nothing but taking care of them and feeding them. And she builds that nest in such a way. And, and look, the you know, best I could dig down. I tried to dig down on some of this. There's a lot of different information out there, but the best I can dig down, she makes that nest super comfortable for those little eagles. They're sitting there and everything's great. All those feathers are, are mixed in there and everything's good, right? And they sit there, they just wait for mama to come and feed them. Well, when she starts realizing they're getting close to being on their own, to taking the next step, she stops feeding them as much. Then what she does as they're getting, you know, cranky in that nest, she'll start stirring up that nest. She'll start taking out some of those feathers, making it less comfortable. She'll start kicking up the bottom of that nest so those, those twigs and stuff are poking those eaglets. They're getting close to flying. Do you know if they sit in the perfect comfort of that nest, they'll never fly? You know what that mother eagle will do? She'll get to a point, and I mean, I even saw some of this when I was researching this and tried to make sure I find the right sources. I seen one mother eagle that came up, the, little, the, the younger eagle sitting on the branch of the tree, and she came up and she knocked that thing off the branch on purpose. How mean, how terrible. I've seen another one where that, that eagle's up there and she's flying, right? And t- the, the, the mother's flying. She's all relaxed. She's watching. But that younger eagle's hitting those wind currents and getting carried with those things and flipping around and getting tired and trying to land and not being able to land and getting caught on another gust and going up. And you can see that baby. And that mama's right there not far and she's watching, but she's letting that baby struggle and panic. I heard some say that what they will do sometimes is swoop underneath the baby eagle and pick him up, bear him on eagle's wings. Get them up high when they're falling and then drop them. And the mother's right there and the baby just starts panicking, thinking they're going to die. And the mother comes down and she swoops underneath there. She catches them again, picks them back up. You know what she's doing? She's teaching them to fly. You know what he's saying? God, I know you're teaching me to fly, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to come close to you and I'm going to get under the shadow of thy wings. That's where I'll make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Go to Psalm chapter number 91, please. Psalm chapter number 91. I want you to see God and His protection. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He says in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand shall at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold uh, and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, Neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation." One of my favorite psalms. I was sitting on the front porch in Texas. Go back over to Psalm chapter 57, please. Sitting on the front porch in Texas a few years ago now. And 
Man, we're sitting there talking to that lady. You've heard my story before, so forgive me, but I can't help but to think about it. Little Lillian comes running up there to me and Grace. We're sitting there talking to a lady from the church that we were, we were there preaching at. We were at the preacher's house. A lady from the church was there. We were sitting on the porch talking, and she came running up and started to interrupt us. We said, we're talking. She said, yeah, but I said, we're talking. She said, okay, but I got bit by a snake. And we, of course, panicked, right? And the first verse that came through my mind, the young lion and dragon shalt thou trample under feet. The kid stepped on a western diamondback rattlesnake. She had a bruise on her shin like that. She had the two fang marks, the whole nine yards, man. You talk about panic. The very first verse that came through my mind, the young lion and dragon shalt thou trample under feet. I'd memorized that psalm years ago. Under his wings shalt thou trust. I'm telling you, you got a God that'll take care of you. You got a God that'll protect you. He allows the calamities. He allows the bad things. I mean, those things happen to us in a sinful world. But the right response, David knew a God that fulfilled all of his promises because David's response in the problem, David's response in the calamity was to draw closer to God and to learn about the protection of God. In verse number two, notice how you draw closer. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Notice what David did is he cried unto God. He got close to him. You know, you need to have a prayer life. I want the protection of God, don't you? Didn't Jesus Christ himself say, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil? You ought to be praying. You ought to be praying for your family. You ought to be praying for your church. You ought to be praying for your kids. You ought to be praying every day for the protection of God. And let me tell you, there's some things they need to be protected from a whole lot more than they need to be protected from physical things. I'm talking about spiritual protection. I want God to protect my kids from the evil workers of iniquity in this world that want to pollute their minds and want to come after them. I want God to protect my kids from false doctrine and from the things of the world. I'm more concerned about that than I even am the physical stuff. And I pray about the physical stuff every day because it means a whole lot to me and it ought to to you too. Notice he's crying unto God and he's trusting in God. For my soul trusted in thee in verse 1. Unbelievable to me that in the middle of this man's problem, as a young man, he's just clinging to God. He's just trusting in God. He's saying, I have nowhere else to go but to God. And he's not letting go of God. He's putting his trust in him. He's crawling up close to him. He's getting underneath his wings. Notice the protection of God comes from the wings of God, but the character of God as well. He says, be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. You ever, you ever realize what you need is God's mercy? I think our problem, usually when things don't go our way, is we start thinking that God's not being fair to us. That's not the case. I'm telling you, the problem is never God's not being fair to me. I always look at myself first. I always say, listen, God, what I need is your mercy. But I, I think I've begun to notice something about the mercy of God. I don't think that word always has to do with don't give me what I do deserve. God, don't judge me. I think the mercy of God also has to do with like a merciful father watching his kids suffer and saying, look, okay, that's enough. I'm going to help. Do you understand the twofold nature of that? I don't think mercy always has to do with, I mean, you can have mercy on somebody that didn't do anything wrong to you, right? You can look at them and have a merciful spirit towards a situation. I think that's what David's asking for. He's seeking the mercies of God. So to find a fulfilling God and to understand how fulfilling God is, you've got to know his protection. Number two, you had to learn his, David had to learn his power. Look at verse three. 
He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. You know God has power to save? Not just a lost soul, but listen, if you're not saved, if you're not born again, if you don't know what it means to be on your way to heaven, you need to get saved. God's the only one that can save a soul from hell. There's no religion that can do it. There's no good works that can do it. You can't do it. Nothing you can do can save your soul. Only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, can save your soul from hell. God has the power to save. He said, He shall send from heaven and save me. This isn't talking about saving grace, though, from hell. What this is talking about, he's talking about from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. He's talking about God saving him from this situation. He's relying on the power of God to get him out of this situation. Listen, heaven is not just some distant place that's, you know, totally detached from what's going on down here. I I think of the, the situation with Daniel, man. He got down and he prayed. When he started praying, God Almighty moved in heaven. You ever read that story? You should read it. Daniel gets down and starts talking to God and he's praying. And, and, and three weeks later, the answer to his prayer comes. And Gabriel explains to him, listen, man, from the day you started praying, the day you began afflicting yourself, God saw what you were doing and God began to move. But I, and I, I immediately got my orders and I started heading this way. But listen, the devil got in the way and Michael, your prince, had to come and help me. And I got through now three weeks later. I got through in answer to your prayers and I'm going back to continue the fight. That man on his knees began to move the throne of God. Heaven was moving and Lucifer was moving because a man got on his face and started getting a hold of God. The power of God to save him from that situation was there, but he didn't stop praying. I've been praying for two weeks and nothing's happened. He kept praying because there's stuff going on in another dimension that you can't see. What I'm trying to tell you is that heaven's not some distant place. When you pray, your prayers are before the throne of God. You can go boldly into that throne and you have a mediator there and you have the spirit of God in you that takes your prayers up with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm telling you, something is going on and prayer is a very real thing and God has the power through the answers to your prayers to do things in your life. God is not detached from you from what you're going through and from where you're at in life. Not at all. But he had to experience that. And how else do you experience it without calamities? How else do you figure out that God fulfills his promises if you never have to see a promise come through? David had to experience it. He experienced and believed in the power of God and he saw the power of God to save him from the situation and the power of God to supply his need. Look at him, he says in verse 3, For God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Man, thank God for mercy and truth. You know what I want? I want truth. You know what I like about David? You know what I like about my Bible? The Bible doesn't give you a whole bunch of uh, uh, prosperity gospel dung. I'll say it that way because it's a Bible word. How in your right mind could you ever preach to people that if you serve God, then everything's going to go perfect your whole life? I mean, as a pastor, what answers would I be having right now for all that people are going through? How could I look them in the eye? You know what I would be doing? What a lot of these religions are doing and what a lot of the other Christians start doing is they start saying this, well, something must be wrong. What were you doing? What you been up to? What's been going on in secret? The Lord must be judging you because God would never do that to a good Christian. 
And now all they do, it's like Job's miserable comforters. All they do is add a burden to an already burdened person. And I guarantee you, that ticks God off. I'm thankful that I don't have to believe this foolish garbage that these idiotic preachers... I mean, I have, you, you can understand, please, and be a little gracious to me if I get a little rough on them. I don't, I, I, they, don't, they aren't worth the gunpowder it take to blow them away. You understand what I'm saying? When they lie to people and manipulate people with this prosperity gospel garbage, and then people that are trying to serve God start going through hard times and lose their faith in God and the Bible because of some jack-leg preacher that wouldn't tell them the truth. Here's a man after God's own heart writing this thing saying, Listen, God... My calamities are flooding over me. And I need you. God, you're going to have to get me through this. I need your power. I need your help. I need your protection. And I need your mercy. And I need your truth. And the truth of the matter is, I'm sure David needed what Job had been through as David was sitting in his cave going through what he was going through, reading about Job reading about Moses, reading about Abraham. Thank God for truth. I sure am glad that I've always done my best at this point. I'm not saying I've arrived or done the best job there is, but I've always done my best to preach the truth of the Bible. You know why? I haven't lied to you. I haven't told you that if you serve God, you're not going to have problems. So when problems come, guess what? You got truth. You know what will get you through problems? Truth. Folks, there is nothing like getting up in the morning, popping on that light, grabbing that cup of coffee, sitting down, opening the Bible. There's nothing like going through a, a stressful period of time where the worries and concerns seem to come from every angle. The heartbreaks, the burdens come from all around. And just kind of be in that zone. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but you're sort of in that grind. And a few days pass, and you just go, you know what? In the middle of the day, you just go, you know what? I'm just going to grab my Bible and just open it up and just... I can't explain it to you, but it's like a, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's the truth. You know the power of God is seen in that book in your lap? That book's what you need. You want to see a fulfilling God? You want to see a God that comes through on all the promises he's made? God's made promises to David, right? We talked about that already. He's told him he's going to sit on the throne, and now he's in a mess. You want to see God fulfill what God said he's going to do? Stick with the truth. Understand that the power of God is right here in the 66 books of one book. And don't ever get to where you stop believing this book or stop picking this book up and opening it up and reading it and memorizing it and loving it and relying on it. You need this book. You want to see God fulfill in your life what He can? You better stick with the book. He understood the power of God to save, the power of God to supply. Not only does God supply mercy and truth, but God supplies the manipulation against His enemies. Look at verse 6. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. See how heavy he is? He's depressed, man. King David, man after God's own heart, is, is bowed. He is in depression. And while he's in depression, he's sitting in a cave. And in that cave, he's writing these words, and we're reading them thousands of years later. I'm just not very spiritual right now. I stayed home because I'm just not very spiritual right now. How do you know you're not? 
I'm just not walking with God like I should be. How do you know you're not? You know what I've always told you? It ain't what you think it is. It ain't what you think. I want to be a preacher. It ain't what you think it is. I want to be filled with the Spirit. It ain't what you think it is. I want to be powerfully used to God. It ain't what you think it is. I want to walk with the Lord. It ain't what you think it is. Here he is, he's depressed, he's not thinking much of himself at all. He's begging God for mercy and hoping he's not going to get swallowed up by this situation and, and, and that God hasn't forgotten him. And yet, in that moment, the Spirit of God is on him and he's penning the perfect words of a holy book you still hold in your lap today. Ain't that wild? God's fulfilling, in the middle of his calamity, God's fulfilling some things in him and with him and through him, and I guarantee you he has no idea it's happening right now. I'm glad he didn't quit. Because I don't know, I probably would if I didn't have some of these guys preaching at me. The manipulation against his enemies. They prepared a net for my steps. My souls bowed down. They digged a pit before me. Into the midst thereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. So what they do in that day is they dig a pit for lions. And then they cover that pit with a net. And that lion would become walking along and he'd fall into that net. They had different ways of rigging them nets up and and getting them, them lions all tied up to capture a lion like that. They're treating him like he's the devil. They're treating him like he's the one walking about seeking whom he may devour. They're treating him like he's the church splitter. And he wasn't. What he says is, they're falling into the net that they prepared for me. My soul's bound out. They dig the pit before me into the midst thereof. They're falling themselves. Well, not yet. He's hiding in a cave. Saul's still chasing him. Not yet. You know what he's doing in this moment? He's living by faith. He's claiming a promise of God and he knows that God's good for it. You might not have done it yet, Lord, but I know sooner or later you're going to do it. I just know you. And that's what he's doing. He's putting his faith in God. Go to Colossians chapter number 2. I want you to see a better example of this even than David. Colossians chapter number 2. Look at verse 14. I'm sorry, look at verse uh, 13. Colossians 2.13 And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross. Alright, so you understand what happened. Jesus Christ was crucified and when he was crucified the handwriting of ordinances that was against you he took out of your way and nailed them to the cross. Look what he did. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You know what those principalities and powers are? That's what you wrestle against in Ephesians chapter 6. You listen to me. You can't serve Jesus Christ in the day and age that you're serving and think you're not going to wrestle against him. You know what you are? You're heading back into the dark ages is what's happening. They're shutting off the lights in this nation. They already did it in Europe and they're shutting them off here. And as you shut off the lights against the Word of God, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's not going to get better. So the more you quench the light of the Word of God, the more the devil has free reign and the principalities and powers are running the show. And these people think they're doing, they're running the show, but they're not. You're going to be under pressure. 
Well, Jesus Christ was. The principalities and powers show. I, I guarantee, I heard one preacher say it this way and I love it. He said, I guarantee you there wasn't one self-respecting devil anywhere in the universe but at the foot of the cross at that moment taunting him, putting pressure on him, trying to stop him, trying to break him, trying to get him to not fulfill what God was doing in him. Can you imagine the pressure Jesus Christ had to be under? I can't fathom it. Guess what happened when his calamity overpassed? He rose again the third day and made a show of him openly. The net that they put, the pit that they dug for Jesus Christ, they wound up in. He descends to where? You know where he went. He descends into the lower part of the earth. Man, I bet you they were having a party. And he comes up on the third day. And that's where they're going he won. Do you understand what I'm saying? And David won in the end. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you're going to win in the end. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to win in the end. you got to stick with him. God's good for it. He's a protecting God. He'll take care of you. He's got all the power of the universe. So don't give up in your calamity. God will fulfill his promises when he's ready. Notice the last thing in verses 7 through 11. I want you to see the praise of God. David had to prove that he would praise God. He says, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory, awake, psaltery and heart. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. I find it completely amazing to me that in the middle of his calamity, his soul's bowed down, he's depressed, he's got issues, he's got problems that are overwhelming to him. And in the middle of all of that, he says, God, I am not moving from you. That's pretty impressive to me. Can I just tell you I'm real careful about that stuff? <laughs> I'm real careful about it. Listen, it's one thing to preach a message. It's another thing to live it. That's what's hard. My preacher said the man is the message. And I used to think, my, how arrogant. And that was just because I was still wet behind the ears. I was so green. It wasn't even funny. I, uh, I, I think I get it now. What he's saying is the man is the message. In other words, you have to live what you preach if you really want to have a message. And you've got to go through some calamities if you really want to preach. It, you can say one thing, but when you live it, you understand what I'm saying? Amen. When you live it, that's totally different. You can't go and walk up to somebody who's got teenagers and start advising them how to raise teenagers if you never raised a teenager. Right? You can't go to some of these older folks and talk to them how to interact with their adult kids if you don't have any adult kids. You can't walk up to somebody and tell them how they should be interacting with their in-laws, their son-in-laws, or daughter-in-laws if you don't have any. You get what I'm saying? you got to live some stuff. David, David's living this thing. See, see, what's amazing about this is this is true praise. Because David's praising God in the middle of his calamity. Here's a question, just a question. It's a thought. How quality is your praise? What kind of quality is your praise? 
if everything is going great. It's probably still praise. I'm sure it means something to God. But what kind of quality is that? You understand what I mean? But if you got it pretty bad, like David in this passage, and you're praising God, that's got to be pure gold to God. See what I'm saying? Here he is in the middle of his calamity, and he's praising God. Notice the source of his praise in verse number 7 is his heart. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. The source of praise is the heart. You know this modern day stuff you're seeing? Folks, I'm sorry, I'm not always trying to beat up on other people, and I know there's some good people out there and all the rest of that stuff, but, but I'm, I'm talking to you about the movement. I'm talking to you about the philosophy of it all. I'm talking to, you about, I'm talking to you about the lack of Bible in it, and thereby the open door to the devil. You understand? Lucifer comes right in there in the religion, and he moves in fast. Praise and worship, praise and worship, the praise and worship team. What, what are you talking about? Worship is sacrifice. You understand? Praise is oftentimes associated with the words of your lips and with song and with things like that. But, but listen, worship is sacrifice. Worship costs you something. Worship grieves your heart. It's where you have to detach from something you love because there's something you love more asking for your devotion and you're willing to give them anything you've got because there's something you love more than that thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? In this text here, he is praising and worshiping because he's got a calamity going on in his life and from his heart he's lifting up God and he's saying, my heart is fixed, oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. There's a sacrifice associated with this. This is true praise and the source of it is his heart. And that's the hard part. It's the heart. I feel like we love so many things so much more than we really love God. In Isaiah 26.3 he says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee heart and a mind that are fixed on Jesus Christ can sit there in the middle of this calamity in this cave and say, look, Lord, I'm going to praise you. I'm giving you my heart and I'm not taking it back. Notice the stirring of his praise in verse number 8. He says, awake up, my glory, awake, sultry and heart. I myself will awake early. You know, I've found out in my life, honestly, so much of my Christian life my Bible reading when it's dry, my prayer life when it's dry, my lack of witnessing when it gets dry, my preaching even. It even goes down to my relationship with my wife and my daughters, my church. So much of my life has to do with whether or not I take personal responsibility to get excited about it. Stir up the gift of God which is in thee. That's what Paul told Timothy, right? I don't know, it's just been dry lately. You're probably the problem. I've been trying to read my Bible and I'm just, you're probably the problem. I've been trying to pray, but you're probably the problem because God hasn't changed. I haven't been witnessing as much lately. Why don't you stir it up? Why don't, you, why don't you choose to get excited about the Bible? Get excited about God. Get excited about prayers and a God that answers them. Get excited about church. Be thankful for it. 
they had to do this little thing about letting people know about you on school there. And some of the kids are, you know, lost and obviously saying things. And Sophia said, well, they're pretty bold about where they're at. I think I'll be bold about where I'm at. So she asked me to come up to her room and read the things she was putting on there. And she said, uh, my name is Sophia Reagan. My dad is the pastor of Bible Believers Church in South Lyon, Michigan. My very favorite thing to do in all the world is go to church. And I like volleyball and basketball. <laughs> you know what a blessing that is? What a testimony that is? I mean, you just got to say, you know what? I want to be here. I like it. It's my choice that this is what I love to do. He stirred himself up. Awake up, my glory. Awake, sultry in heart. I myself will awake early. You see how he made a decision? You see how practical that is? Forget the super spiritual hogwash. When I get around super spiritual people, folks, I'm not trying to be rude. I cannot stomach them. Well, brother, you know, well, yeah, I know. I mean, I'm going to probably smack you in a second, okay? So just, I can't stand it. Life is real. And sometimes you're not feeling like it. And so you've got to take responsibility and say, you know what, Lord, my heart's getting cold and I want to get closer to you. I want my Bible to mean something to me. I want to pray. I want to pray with some fervency, Lord. Forget this stuff about, well, I haven't been praying much, so that's why my life started falling apart. And, you know, God's going to come after me and give me something to pray for. I prayed for patience, so now God's going to beat me up. And a lot of that stuff's superstition. A lot of that stuff. I didn't say all the time. I said a lot of that stuff is superstition. Get serious about God. Make that choice. Notice in conclusion, look at verses 9 through 11. He he writes a self-fulfilling prophecy here because he's writing the words of God. He says, I'll praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. You say, where's the self-fulfilling prophecy? He said, I'll praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I'll sing unto thee where? How can a guy say, I'm going to go from a cave where nobody even wants to be with me, and here's a few guys coming in, stragglers starting to build up, but, I mean, what's 400 guys with uh, the whole nation against me? Go from that, from that position and say, I'm going to sing in front of kings all over the world. You know what he is doing there? He's saying, God, I remember what you anointed me for. I remember what you promised. And I know you're a God who fulfills your promises. So in verses 9 through 11, you see him putting his faith in God in the middle of his calamity, knowing that he's not going to stay there forever. That was verse 1, till these calamities be overpassed. You've got to remember that in the middle of your problem, that God will fulfill his promises and David's remembering that. Now, here's my concluding thought. What if David had reacted to his calamities differently than what we've seen in this chapter? What if he didn't draw close to God like you see him doing, crawling up under his feathers? What if he didn't trust the protection of God? What if he didn't rely on the power of God? What if he chose not to praise God in his calamity? You know what he would have been? Instead of King David, a man after God's own heart, he would have been Saul number two. Watch it. Because of the treatment that Saul was giving him. That's not fair to him. If he did not respond properly to the treatment, 
because he hated the guy that was torturing him, he would have become that guy. You understand that? Now ain't that scary. You know what happens with you and me when the devil gets against us, the principalities and powers, the world gets against us, and we don't handle those problems, sin in the world, the curse of sin in the world, we don't handle those problems like we're supposed to, like David is in the passage. We become what we hate, what's pressuring us, what's tempting us, what's destroying us. We actually get right into their game plan, and they win. They swallow us up in their pit. And then we sit back the rest of our life and say, well, God doesn't fulfill his promises because I was serving God and this happened and that happened. And No, God did fulfill and would fulfill. It was just your response to what was happening was wrong. You see that? Now, I'm not trying to say that I even have what it takes. I promise you. But David did. And he gave us great instructions here in how to work our way through our calamities. And the reason you should work your way through them is because you've got a God who will fulfill every promise. Hey, look, the day's coming. We were talking about it before church. I think it was Brother Paul said, I'm, I'm hoping for the rapture before that, or somebody. Yeah, the day's coming when it's every promise of God's going to be fulfilled. I can't wait to be out of this body. I'm serious. I can't wait to do anything I want to do. I'm done preaching now. We're, 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 at, we're out of here. I'm going to get to do anything I want. Any thought that comes through my mind, I'm going to be able to allow. Anything I want to do, I'm going to be able to do. Whatever the mood strikes me, there's going to be zero restraints. Do you understand that? When you're in your glorified body and you have the mind of Christ. (laughs) That's going to be a great day. And God will fulfill those promises. All right, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed.